Hello and welcome to the EU External Anti-Corruption Promotion, a case study on Moldova. I'm Eliana. And I'm Mihai. From the Moldovan German Forum, a Chisinau-based non-governmental organization whose aim is to enhance the European integration process in Moldova. In five podcast episodes, we discuss corruption and EU efforts against corruption in Moldova. This research project is supported by the Institut für Europäische Politik within the framework of the Eurasia Lab and Fellowship Program. In our first episode, we talked about Moldova and the extent of corruption in the country. We have shown that the widespread high-level corruption has negative implications on internal developments and Moldova's relation with the European Union. In our second episode today, we want to discuss two main actors that are engaged in tackling corruption internationally, the European Union and the Council of Europe. As we will see in this episode, both actors are actively engaged also in Moldova and therefore are a significant factor in Moldova's fight against corruption. So, why don't we start with the European Union? Right. After all, uh, EU integration is a declared objective of Moldova's internal and external policy. And the EU is one of Moldova's most important political and economic external partners. Mm -hmm. But not only that, the EU is an, an external action actor pursuing normative and interest-based foreign policy objectives. And what this means is that in its relations with other countries, the EU seeks to promote its values and norms, but also its interests related to, for example, security, economic development and trade and good governance. Now, Moldova enjoys highly developed relations with the EU. It is part of the Eastern Partnership, a European neighborhood policy framework that is developed by the EU and its member states, involving six countries from Eastern Europe and the South Caucasus. Yes, and within the Eastern Partnership, Moldova is along with uh, Georgia and Ukraine, one of the three so-called associated countries. The association agreement, which is the main policy instrument in EU-Moldova relations, foresees Moldova's political association, economic integration and legislative approximation in a whole range of sectors. In other words, the EU and Moldova cooperate in a variety of policy areas and share everything but institutions. Mm -hmm. In order to gain access to the EU internal market, Moldova must adopt and implement EU legislations as if it were an EU member state. But how is all of this related to the fight against corruption exactly? Well, actually, that's an excellent question. Tackling corruption in Moldova is both an explicit and implicit objective of the EU. So let's start with the association agreement, which is the central legal instrument through which the EU pursues to monitor and enforce the adoption and implementation of anti-corruption rules. Okay. In it, the EU and Moldova recognize anti-corruption as a project of common interest and a key factor in the development of their relations and cooperation, which shall contribute to regional peace and stability. Tackling corruption is, moreover, prominently mentioned as an area of domestic reform, which is covered by the aims of political dialogue between the EU and Moldova. So the EU explicitly declared that tackling corruption is a main objective in its relation with Moldova. Absolutely. And uh, what is more, anti-corruption is dealt with as a cross-cutting objective. This becomes clear when you look at the DCFTA. Just to clarify, this is the Deep and Comprehensive Free Trade uh, Agreement, DCFTA. 
-hmm. It is the trade-related part of the association agreement, which aims at the highest possible degree of liberalization in a broad range of main areas of trade relations, which includes um, market access of goods, custom service, technical and food safety standards, competition policy and public procurement. Yes, exactly. And particularly in public procurement, the area that you mentioned, anti-corruption plays a significant role. The DCFDA chapter on public procurement includes a variety of good governance standards and underlines the importance of transparent, non-discriminatory, competitive and open tendering. And these anti-corruption standards all flow from the internal EU legislation. The EU Directive on Public Procurement, for example, which is applied for uh, EU member states, entails multiple far-reaching preventive and repressive anti-corruption provisions. Because Moldova, through the association agreement, is obliged to align its national legislation to, to the EU acquis, communautaire, it has also to comply with these anti-corruption standards that I just mentioned. It seems to me that the EU clearly has an interest that opening up respective markets goes hand in hand with a level playing field with uniform rules. Yeah. And let's not forget the visa liberalization requirements that Moldova has to comply with after it was granted a visa-free regime for traveling to the Schengen area. Right. One of the so-called blocks uh, that Moldova has to comply with, uh, which is the block on public order and security, also entails benchmarks against corruption, money laundering and organized crime. And the European Commission is regularly reporting on Moldova's progress in this area through the so-called visa suspension mechanism. And as its name says, if Moldova is backsliding on, say, anti-corruption, in theory, the Commission is obliged to temporarily suspend the visa-free regime. Okay, which is something that hasn't happened yet. Exactly. But So far. Yeah. Beyond these more explicit references to anti-corruption in the association agreement, tackling corruption is also closely connected to other EU objectives including the promotion of EU values and norms and the pursuance of security and stability-related interests. The very concept of corruption, understood by the EU in a nutshell as abuse of power for private gains, um, stands against the rule of law and good governance. Different indexes, as well as cross-country qualitative analysis, have long established that countries with high level of corruption also have poor rule of law and good governance records. And tackling corruption is essential for the creation of an area of freedom, security and justice. A common legal space where EU law is effectively applied. Oh, absolutely. Uh, as we have seen in our last episode, uh, when we talked about the banking fraud and the Russian laundromat, the repercussions of corruption are not restricted to the countries of origin only. Right. Corrupt networks are a major factor for instability at the EU's borders and oftentimes even penetrate EU borders. Yes, which again simplifies why fighting corruption is among the EU's security-related interests. Yeah, Before going over to the role of the Council of Europe, which is the other major anti-corruption actor, let's talk a little bit more about anti-corruption as one of the EU's main objectives in Moldova. We already mentioned the security side of corruption or the tackling corruption is among the EU's security-related interests. 
but maybe we can dive a little bit more into the EU values and norms related side of fighting corruption. And in particular, Mihai, since you wrote a couple of articles for the Darunder Forum of the London School of Economics, um, Open Democracy, as well as the Bertelsmann Foundation, I would like you to briefly talk about the summer of 2019. What exactly happened in the summer of 2019 and how did the EU react? Well, the summer of 2019 was uh, pretty important for a number of reasons. First, after years of state capture, Moldova got rid of its most powerful and omnipresent oligarch, Vladimir Plahatniuk. And Plahatniuk had been dominating the domestic political landscape since 2010, and he and his oligarchic circle were the driving forces of entrenched high-level corruption in Moldova and pretty much all the negative developments that we talked about last time. Now, what happened was that following the parliamentary elections of February 2019, an unlikely coalition of pro-Russian and pro-European political forces emerged, which was the Socialist Party as the pro-Russian political force and the so-called Akumbok as the pro-European political force. Mm -hmm. And these two parties with diametrically opposed foreign policy objectives didn't have much in common other than to oust Plahatniuk and his ruling Democratic Party. And they did exactly that. But besides this significant change in the Moldovan political scene, the summer of 2019, or better said, the following months really, were important for yet another reason. Yes, and probably even more significant was the EU's instant reaction. Immediately after this unlikely coalition of pro-European and pro-Russian was officialized and a new government was installed, the EU issued very clear statements in support of the new government. And probably we have to add here for our listeners that the new government was led by the pro-European, as you mentioned before, Maya Sandu, who enjoyed a very good reputation in Brussels. And she and her government adopted a resolute and ambitious anti-corruption course by announcing a comprehensive, if we may say, de-oligarchization package. Right, this was the official name. And on top of the remarkably open positive and generous tone of several EU high-level officials, the EU dispersed over 80 million euro of financial assistance between July and October 2019 only, which was an unprecedented front load of trust, which stood in stark contrast to the EU's approach prior to the summer of 2019. These events clearly show that much-needed EU financial assistance is closely linked to Moldova's anti-corruption efforts. <laughs> All right, we arrived at the second part of our episode where we talk about the role of the Council of Europe in tackling corruption in Moldova. And with whom else to talk to if not with you, Eliana? You have worked at the Council of Europe, the Congress of Local and Regional Authorities, to be more precise, in the Cooperation and External Relations Unit. Well, the Council was such an exciting place to work because it really sets Europe-wide standards in a variety of areas. And this is particularly true in the area of anti-corruption. The Council of Europe sees anti-corruption as an essential element of a democracy and the rule of law. Its initiatives aim to underpin the national anti-corruption strategies of its state parties. Now, when it comes to anti-corruption framework of the Council of Europe, three instruments, I would say, deserve mentioning. First, the 20 guiding principles for the fight against corruption 
which enca encapsulate almost the entire array of sensitive areas which are critical to prevent and cor combat corruption in a country. They include public awareness, ethical behavior, independence of ju the judiciary and the prosecuting organs, immunity of public officials and elected representatives, code of conduct for public officials, transparency rules in public administration, media freedom, and lastly, political party funding, which we will talk about in our fourth episode. Well, that's quite indeed a large array of issues. Um, but what about the other two instruments that you mentioned? Right. The other two important legal instruments are the Criminal Law Convention and the Civil Law Convention on Corruption. These instruments establish rules on active and passive bribery of public officials, as well as common international standards regarding corruption and civil law. And in fact, these anti-corruption standards are so far-reaching that they are even praised by the European Commission as contributing to ensuring, and I quote, minimum standards in a pan-European legal area. Yeah, that's really no surprise. And of course, there is much more, particularly um, on the subject of political party financing. Which, as you already mentioned, we'll talk about in our fourth episode. But for now, tell us how come that Moldova is affected by all this? Well, Moldova has been affected full-fledged member of the Council of Europe since the 13th of July 1995 and as a consequence it is a signatory party to all the major anti-corruption legal instruments that I mentioned previously. But more importantly Moldova is a member of the so-called Group of States Against Corruption or Greco since 2001 and um, I would say it's your turn now to tell us more about it. At the very beginning of your PhD studies at Ghent University you had a research stay exactly at Greco in Strasbourg at the Council of Europe. Yes this is right it was a really interesting experience. The role of Greco within the Council of Europe is indeed very special. Since 1999 Greco has been regularly monitoring compliance of its member countries with the far-reaching anti-corruption standards of the Council of Europe. And this has happened through a dynamic process of mutual evaluation and peer pressure. Now, what does this mean concretely? Greco is an intergovernmental monitoring mechanism that, rather than imposing legal sanctions, wants to raise awareness and enhance mutual persuasion. Mm -hmm. In order to achieve this, Greco evaluations are defined by a strict review procedure. Typically, the country under scrutiny, say Moldova, for example, will first conduct a self-assessment. So Moldova will prepare a report where it lays out how it assesses its own anti-corruption efforts. Exactly. After which Greco sends a team of experts to conduct on-site visits. During these on-the-ground visits, the experts collect a variety of information which flows into a country evaluation report. And this report is then debated in the plenary of the Council of Europe in the presence of the country under scrutiny, after which Greco issues a set of anti-corruption recommendations. And this sequence of review procedures is then followed by a sequence of compliance procedures, which assesses whether the evaluated country has actually implemented the forwarded recommendations. But what happens if, let's say, Moldova is not happy with the findings in said report? Well, it's remarkable that Greco gives the examined country 18 months to respond to the recommendations. Moreover, Greco foresees that the final report, after all changes and amendments, is additionally debated in the plenary. And it can only be published once two-thirds of Greco members 
that participated in the evaluation process have voted in favor of the report. It sounds like a cooperative and non-adversarial atmosphere. And this is precisely what has made Greco a uniquely efficient anti-corruption monitoring mechanism in Europe. While it's true that within this atmosphere, one crow does not pick the other's eye out, peer pressure and mutual persuasion have achieved a remarkable acceptance rate internationally. This is how Greco has managed to achieve a surprisingly high rate of compliance with the legally non-binding Council of Europe anti-corruption standards. Since 2001, Greco has conducted four evaluation rounds in Moldova and assessed a staggering range of issues. Now, let's not forget the work that Moneyval is doing, the comedy of experts on evaluation of anti-money laundering measures and the financing of terrorism. As Moldova is also a member of this body of the Council of Europe, Moneyval has conducted five rounds of evaluations in the country. So, all in all, I think it is pretty fair to say that the Council of Europe is a very active anti-corruption actor in Moldova. We have arrived at the end of our second episode. We talked about the EU and the Council of Europe as two of the most important external anti-corruption actors in Moldova. Both the EU and the Council have self-proclaimed objective to reduce corruption levels in the country at all levels and across all sectors. The EU regards anti-corruption to be both an implicit and explicit objective and even sees it as a key factor in the development of its external relations with Moldova. The Council of Europe, on the other hand, of which Moldova is a long-time member, sees anti-corruption as an indispensable element of a democratic state and the rule of law. We have also touched upon the channels or instruments that both actors use to attain this objective. While we have seen that the instruments case of the EU and the Council of Europe is fairly broad, in our next episodes we will take a deeper look at the tools through which the EU and the Council of Europe try to achieve its high anti-corruption ambitions vis-à-vis Moldova. There we will explore two policy areas. The policy area against fraud for the protection of the EU's financial interests and the area of illegal party funding. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you have learned something new today, please share this episode with your network or tell a friend about it. If you would like to cooperate with us or have a burning question you need answered, you can reach us at info at fmg.md. Talk to you next time.